Welcome to the 516 Podcast, a ministry production of Community Bible Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a church dedicated as a community of Christ to be a community for Christ. We pray our content would bless and encourage you today. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Reality 101, Ecclesiastes. Welcome to the 516 Podcast. My name is Ryan, and I'm joined by Dr. Pastor Steve Foster. Dr. Pastor. Yeah, it's like Dr. Pepper, but Dr. Pastor. Wow. We I should sell that. My, Doctor, my own soft drink. Dr. Pastor cool. Coke. Dr. Pastor. I've never heard that one. Good, okay, I like that. So we've just wrapped up a six-month series or longer uh, of nine Romans. Months. Nine months of Romans. Yeah. Wow. And fell asleep during three months, I guess. <laughs> well, I have just had my third child, That's so true. That's you know, true. I get a little excuse there. I but uh, to you. so we dive into Ecclesiastes. Why Ecclesiastes? Uh, well, actually, Ecclesiastes goes very well with Romans. Um, Romans chapter eight, Paul says that this world's in bondage to futility or bondage to corruption, and so I think he was drawing from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes sort of tells us, you know, what happened because of sin. Genesis three. The curse on um, this world and Adam work frustrating uh, thorns and thistles in the ground. And so Ecclesiastes just sort of uh, shows us what life is like in a sin cursed world. And I think it's a good wake up call. I think we live in a world where, you know, people want virtual reality and all kinds of other mm. augmented reality. Well, this is reality 101. This mm, is for sure real reality. And this is what you got to deal with if you're going to live in this world. If you fail reality 101, then you're going to fail life because you're living in a fantasy world. So, Well, something I valued since I started coming to CBC was the study guides. As someone oh, who good. is the uh, son of a uh, Bible teacher for women who loves to do her outlines and has spent many times in the office seeing mom work on her study guide outlines, and I came here and I said, Mom, this is your kind of church. We have a pastor who does study guides. So one of the main ideas of when we launched the 516 podcast was for those of you who maybe have scholastic issues like me and can't sit down mm. with a paper and pen, we're going to put it on audio with the man himself, oh, the author wow. himself, Dr. Pastor Steve's study guide. <laughs> so this is going to be our outline, and we will go through the entire study guide right, week to week good. to help assist people to dive deeper, because I feel like there are truly a lot of deep truths to uh, discover, not only just in God's Word, but in this particular book. I remember a time in my life where the first time I really read Ecclesiastes and could maybe comprehend it was when I was uh, in college. And to say mm. the least, it it was sort of depressing, but at the same oh, time, yeah. it brought a strange comfort. So why yep. is Ecclesiastes not your everyday standard Sunday school lesson? Well, uh, you started off by reading you know, verse 2 of chapter 1, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, or Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, or futility of futilities, all is futility, or absolutely pointless, everything is pointless. Um, there's not many flannel graph Sunday school lessons on that. Uh, that's I, like I put in the study guide. It's not a rose-colored view of the world. It's not a pleasant skip through the daisies and lilies of the promised land. Ecclesiastes is more like a swift hit to the head with a two-by-four. And, hey, let's let's be honest. I think sometimes we... Um, we oversell or we make Christianity. I mean, the health wealth gospel does it you yeah. know, to the, ex, um, the extreme, but we sort of imply, hey, you live life, you, you follow Jesus, and everything is going to work out great. 
And you know what? That's not how it always turns out. I mean, you could be following Jesus and the next day get a cancer diagnosis and you suddenly realize, hey, what's going on? And I think Ecclesiastes just, to me, is a good counterweight, a good balance, help us to really understand, um, yeah, we live in a God-created world, but we also live in a world impacted by sin, and we we have to live in both. We have to see them both. So we know Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature of the yep. Bible, um, the wisdom books including Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. So give us a little background. Who do we think wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? <laughs> well, I mean, Solomon has been the traditional uh, author, and you can't help but read chapter 1 and 2 and see Solomon. Um, so Solomon is the traditional—I I don't think it would—personally, I don't think it'd be in the Jewish canon if they did not believe Solomon wrote it, because— Many of the Jews had a hard time with Ecclesiastes. I mean, it doesn't seem to fit. Um, so I think they believed that Solomon wrote it, and therefore I think that authorship had a huge impact in its uh, canonicity. Christianity down through history has always seen Solomon. Um, but there is there are conservative scholars, even Martin Luther um, you know, questioned it at one point, that uh, would say that Solomon didn't write it. Sometimes the language seems a little later in Jewish history. Um, my way of sort of navigating some of the challenges I see about the authorship of Solomon is to say there's no question that it's presented as the voice of Solomon. I believe Solomon is the one who is the author of it, but I do think it's possible that you have a later editor who has taken, you know, Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs, I think it says in 1 Kings 4, and um, so there's no question he had a, a plethora of writings, and so I think possibly a maybe a letter later editor is taking some of the writings of Solomon and uh, updating them for a generation that just went through the captivity. That's just a theory. Um, but if you had to pin me down, I'd, I would say Solomon definitely is the author. So we know Solomon is the son of David, yep. king of Jerusalem. So yep. give us more background and context about where Solomon is, who Solomon is at this point of where we think maybe he wrote <laughs> this in his life. Well, I, I the I think the the most obvious view is that he wrote it at the end of his life. Um, so you basically would have three books written by Solomon. You have Song of Solomon, which is probably his younger days. You know, he's... <laughs> the ladies? The ladies, yeah. You know, that's his... Uh, Lots of ladies. <laughs> yep, his days of um, searching for love. So let's just say, you know, um, late teens, early 20s. Then you have Proverbs. He's obviously a father. He's teaching his sons how to live. And so that's his midlife and... <laughs> Ecclesiastes is, uh, I always say he's writing this as a pawpaw, you know, <laughs> and pawpaws don't have filters anymore. Pawpaws just tell you what life is really like. And so he's been through life. He's He fell away from the Lord. He's seen, he's pursued everything that he thought the world would give him for satisfaction. I think at the end of his life, he's sort of looking back and realizing um, just how futile that pursuit was. And he's he's reflecting on that. So why don't we go, give us the outline of Ecclesiastes as a whole book, since this is our introduction to the yep. book. So what are we diving into from beginning to end? What are these main themes? What are the, what are like the main highlight kind of benchmark, stone markers, as you wish, uh, to kind of give us an overview of the full outline of the sections of Ecclesiastes? Yep. Good question. Um, there is no consensus on an outline for Ecclesiastes. I'll just say that right up front. Most scholastically? Scholastically, Bible scholars, you, you you open up any book, and Ecclesiastes is considered an enigma. It's it's hard to—some people don't see a structure at all. They just see it as more of a sort of a random uh, collection of his reflections. But 
but I do believe there is a structure to it. Obviously, there's a prologue, and it's basically that introduction basically saying, hey, life under the sun is meaningless. If you're trying to find meaning in this world apart from God under the sun, you're not going to find it. Um, and then you have the, the epilogue at the end, basically where he sums up everything. Then in the, in the middle, I think what you have, I see three sections. Um, chapters one through three is basically the futile pursuit for life's meaning. In other words, if you're going to try to find meaning in this world under the sun, I think that's a key phrase that's used uh, 28 times in the book. If you're trying to find meaning in this world under the sun, he's just going to tell you, here's everything you can go after. And in the end, you're going to find it just does not satisfy. So mm-hmm. whether it's riches, um, education, money, um, sex, uh, pleasure, gratification, uh, building stuff, I mean, whatever it is, it's just not going to satisfy in the end. Because in the end, death is going to wipe it all away. And um, um, just like that old Kansas song, Dust in the Wind. <laughs> then I think he transitions to more in chapter, in the chapter three, all the way through six, to not only our own individual pursuit of trying to find meaning, but then he looks around the world in general and he just sees the sinfulness of man and oppression and injustice and greed and materialism and this quest for popularity. And he sees all this selfish ambition and how we, um, you know, we just act foolishly and don't even stop to think about what we're doing. And so he sees that he sort of looks around now at the world and sees all that's gone wrong in the world, which, you know, Anybody that opens a newspaper can see that today. Then in chapter 7, I think you have a little bit of a transition, and from chapter 7 to the end of the book, I think what he concludes is um, wisdom is better despite its limitations. Hmm. In other words, you want to live a life of wisdom, but you need to understand that wisdom is going to be limited by the realities of this world. And so, so true. So live the book of Proverbs, but don't forget that we're spiritually depraved, and don't forget that life is uncertain, and don't forget that we're going to die, and don't forget that sometimes we just make foolish decisions. And so you live a life of wisdom, but you understand the context of reality. And to me, that is true wisdom, because now it's true wisdom, because you're not living in an illusionary world. You're living a wise life in the midst of the world as it is, and you're not sort of living in a fantasy world. So you got our thematic epilogue as fear God and keep his commandments. Yep. Why Ecclesiastes at this point culturally and then personally, what 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 is your desire for our body and the audience at large to understand about Ecclesiastes at this present day here in June 2022 in America at this time of history? Oh, wow. What is your heart and, and desire for uh, us to discover in the book of Ecclesiastes? I think Ecclesiastes is probably the most relevant book in the in the Bible right now. Um, postmodernism, a doubting of everything, uh, skepticism, um, almost a cynicism about life. I think um, you know, just wanting to throw everything out the window and just sort of um, you know. And I th- I do think there's this concept of virtual reality or the metaverse, and everybody wants to sort of leave reality and sort of create their own and feel like they can create their own, and you can't. Um, you cannot create your own reality. Reality is reality. And um, you can live in a, you know, what I call a video-induced illusionary world if you want, but that's not reality, and don't call it reality. And so I think Ecclesiastes is speaking to today because it's speaking to, you know, particularly in America. We, we, we're the most blessed nation that's ever existed. We've had prosperity. We've had freedom. We've had 
I mean, we can pretty much choose whatever life we want to some degree more than anybody else. And yet we're the most dissatisfied culture mm, in the world. So true. Um, we call it the age of anxiety. We're depressed. We have more stuff than anyone's ever had. And we're more depressed than we've ever been. And so basically we're living out the message of Ecclesiastes. And in the end, you just have to understand that, you know, you have to, life is short. Life is a gift. And that's what, that's the part of Ecclesiastes a lot of people forget. There's actually seven passages in Ecclesiastes. They're called the Carpe Diem passages, mm. where he says, "Enjoy life." Yeah. When you understand reality, uh, you can be depressed. I mean, but if you have a hope that's above the sun, Amen. And you see life as a gift, man. Now you can enjoy it. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy marriage. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy the good gifts God. Enjoy your work. You. Yeah, and don't. Don't make those things into gods. See them as gifts from God, and it changes everything. You know, my mind's brought to this uh, transgender arguments that Mm. are going on in our culture right now. And there's nothing more against reality than what we have been facing uh, in the culture. And, you know, uh, I'm 35 years old. I'm not going to give your age. You're just older than that, I would say. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) But, you know, there's a lot of young people that are faced with uh, not just the ebbs and flows of struggling with the flesh and sin, but now a culture that tells them what they understand is real is not real, and there is no such thing. So I guess my heart and my prayer is that, you know, as we see these types of issues come to the forefront, at the end of the day, we do know that it's an affront to God. It's, yep. it's, it's not just, oh, it could be my truth or your truth. No, it's there is one reality, and it's God's reality. Amen. And it belongs to Him. So I, I'm praying for our body and at here at Community Bible Church and our congregation, digital congregation, yeah. that will listen to these, that as we uh, read this, that God would move on our hearts. So before we pray and close this outline, why don't you give us just an overview of your Bible study methods? Um, I know you've How got... I put this together? Uh, yeah, yeah, about the, the, the five days that you have in prayer, and kind of give us a little overview of this, um, of this way that you like to have people study the Bible. Yeah. Well, um, I... The, the way I put this together was really based on what I taught in Bible study methods. And so what I'm trying to do is, you know, there's only so much you can uh, learn on a Sunday morning. And I, I definitely want to teach God's Word as accurately and as um, effectively as I possibly can. But ultimately, I want to equip people to dive into the God's Word on their own, because that's going to be where the real grounding is going to come from. So how do you study the Bible? Well, we're taught, and I was taught, um, basically three key parts to it. Uh, observation, what do I see? I need to read it. I need to understand it. I need to see its context. Then interpretation, what does it mean? I need to dig deeper into it to understand what its true meaning is. And then application, what what does it mean to me? How does it impact me? Most people just read Scripture and just jump to application. What does it mean to me? But you know, obviously there's, if you don't understand the context, you don't understand what it says, you can really get off on some weird stuff. Um, I mean, I, I can remember people sometimes will quote verses from Job, and it's from Job's friends who are, <laughs> are not the people that we're supposed to be following. And so, um, so what I try to guide people through is that three-step method with two additional steps I've added just to match the, the five days of a week. First day is just reading it, observation, just read it, just try to mm. understand it, try to understand its context, try to see some key words. I try to ask questions to just get people to interact with the text. Day two, I call meditation, and that's just almost slowing down just to make sure that I really do um, take time to observe. 
And meditation, Psalm 1, is so important just to just to slow down, just read it over and over, just think about it, and just allow God to encourage your heart. And you can draw pictures, you can write notes, whatever, whatever sort of in that day, just whatever impacts you as you slow down. Day three is interpretation, where I try to teach people, okay, how do you how do you look up at this word in the Hebrew and the Old Testament or the Greek and the New Testament? How do I see it used in other passages? If there's something that's difficult, what are some other parallel passages that can help me understand this? Day four is sort of an extension of interpretation. I give uh, commentary from Matthew Henry. He's a classic. One um, of my mom's favorites. Is he? Oh, good. Yeah. Well, Spurgeon said every person should read uh, Matthew Henry's commentary at least once. So I'm trying to help people do that. And and I like the fact he's writing from the 17th century. He's outside of our context. He can say things sometimes that we're not trying to think, oh, why is he saying that? But he's just writing for his generation. But Matthew Henry obviously was a man that knew the scriptures well, and I think he brings some insight. Plus, it's public domain, so I can cut and paste <laughs> and stick in your study guide. Um, and then the fifth day is application. Now, what does it mean to me? Um, now that I've studied the passage, um, what? how does it impact me? And I try to help guide that discussion on day five. And I also put in some small group discussion questions, because in my mind— um, there's one thing to study the Bible individually, but we're really a body, and I can learn from others. I need to learn from others, and so I try to put some questions so that your family, if you're a parent, you can get your kids, um, your brothers and sisters, uh, you can join with another couple, you can join a community group. Try to do some things that help people just um, can lead some discussion. Well, I'm super excited about this. Well, good. I am glad we've got our outline done. I'm going to read this quote that you put here down at the bottom by Craig Bartholomew. Ecclesiastes takes the reader on a roller coaster ride as its main character. Help me pronounce this word. Koalet. Koalet. Sets out to explore the meaning of life, or teacher in Hebrew, correct? Is that yes. Yep. Awesome. Teacher, preacher, speaker to an assembly. Yep. It is a sign of the richness and depth of Scripture that we have such a book in the canon, and of God's desire to meet us where we are and to lead us to full life in Christ amidst the brokenness of the world. Yep. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it brings us. Lord, I pray that through this series, uh, God, in our own fellowship here and all those who might be listening uh, digitally, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring the reality of Ecclesiastes and the truth that you wish you would speak to our hearts. God, we can... We can do all of the searching and the chasing, but ultimately, Lord, what we need is you, and Amen. we need your word and your life to us. So, Lord, I pray as we encounter these next eight weeks in Ecclesiastes, Lord, as we go through chapters 1 through 12, Lord, that your reality would hit us in a new and fresh way, God. God, so at the end of the day, we would, God, be able to take delight in you, the things that come from your hand, come from your blessing, nothing of ourselves, and we could glorify you in and through it all. In Him, Lord's name we pray. Amen. Amen.